0: Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Knight Campbell, your host for The Leading Edge, women pushing boundaries in life, adventure, and leadership. Our topic today is male allies with Dr. David Smith. David is a co-author of the book, Good Guys, how men can be better allies for women in the workplace and an associate professor at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. A former Navy pilot, David led diverse organizations of women and men culminating in command of a squadron in combat. He flew more than 3000 hours over 30 years, including combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. He focuses his research on gender, work and family issues, including gender bias and performance evaluations dual-career families, women in the military, and retention of women in the workplace. I met David when we were both working at the Naval Academy, and today I am particularly excited to dive into the hard questions men should be asking about getting to gender equity. Good morning, David, and welcome.
2: Thanks, Knight. Great to be here with you.
1: All right, David, to start, what should our listeners know about you?
2: Well... First, thanks for having me on the show, and I think we need to just let our entire audience know that as uh, two guys here today, what we're not going to do is mansplain to all the female listeners, Um, but really to to talk about this idea of allyship, and I think this is one thing that people often get wrong is that in our work, uh, we often think of this as doing things for, solving things for uh, women as men, and so but this is more about a partnership. This is about a collaboration. How do we be very thoughtful and spend a lot more time listening and understanding, develop empathy for the problems and the challenges that are out there, and then how do we collaborate together to solve these out there? So, excited to be here as a sociologist. This is uh, something that I get to work in all the time, and is kind of the foundation of a lot of the research that I do with uh, my my good friend, Cole colleague and co-conspirator Dr. Brad Johnson
1: co-conspirator I love that the first thing you said was there are two men on this women lead radio show and and I think that's high on my mind and I think it's probably harder not to mansplain than we think it it often just happens and so I'm excited to dive into your research and your experience and try to solve that problem for us how do we stop Uh, but I am curious you know, you started out in a dual-career marriage where you were both professionals in the Navy. What was that like when you started out?
2: Yeah, my my wife and I both graduated from the Naval Academy um, back in the 80s, and so there weren't a lot of uh, women because it was the beginning of integration for women in the military and the service academies. And so it was, it was always interesting as we started our careers together and those kind of parallel career paths to – to kind of see how each other, we were experiencing things differently and the same. And so we'd have a lot of those conversations about what she was experiencing and seeing in the workplace and what I was. And in many cases, there were just a lot of things that she faced that I did not. I just never saw them. A lot of barriers and challenges that were thrown down in front of her, things that were asked of her. Um, told to to act and behave in ways that i never had never heard you know, like <laughs> nobody ever told me to smile more or that i shouldn 't be so abrasive it just never happened um, but the other part of it was more along the uh, the lines of kind of career progression and career advocacy that um, as a as a man in the military in a very traditionally male dominated profession, you know resources and the path ahead and what opportunities were out there and what I should or shouldn 't do were, you know, were things that kind of came to me very naturally, whereas for her, it was, that information wasn't easy to find in, many, in a lot of cases, so uh, just a lot of these very different experiences for us, and seeing it through her eyes, really kind of open mind, and, and it gets, I think this is important, because I think for a lot of us, as we think about being allies for others, that you know, the, understanding the motivation behind why we do the work, why we're motivated to, to act as allies, to create equity in the workplace is important. And uh, and being able to talk about that, I think, is also important because uh, from a gender equity perspective, women often look and ask me that question. Like, why? what got you involved in doing this work? And certainly my, so, my sociology background and research has been a part of it, but there's also that personal motivation, that sense of uh, – Understanding injustices and what's fair and what's not really motivates behavior out there. And we think that's really important for people to really understand. So that was kind of the the beginning of it for me. And then seeing that happen in, in the workplace, making this connection to her experiences, to what was really going on for other people, my colleagues, my female colleagues I was working with, that really kind of motivated me to begin to think about, all right, so how can I be a part of the solution, not the problem at work?
1: It's, it's really interesting, you know, my, my wife and I also were dual military and went through the Naval Academy together. And what you were saying brought up this, this story that I remember about her where we get 360 feedback from other midshipmen and she would always get abrasive or not tactful, it needs to be more tactful. And then she went into the Marine Corps and one of the first counseling sessions she had with a senior officer you know, she said, Hey, I, I'm trying to be more tactful. I know I have a problem with being abrasive. And he just looked at her and said, you're a Marine, you're just direct. And I think that shifted her whole leadership style, made her feel comfortable with being direct and assertive where the Naval Academy had really tried to tamp that down. Do you have any thoughts around that idea of abrasive versus direct?
2: Yeah. And certainly the research backs us up with What what uh you know your partner was experiencing as well that that women when they lead in a more stereotypically what we consider masculine leadership style and so this is the more directive more assertive way that gets around kind of what we think of as agency right in that sense um that they get labeled your favorite b word you know bossy or the other ones out there and um, but if they lead in a more stereotypically feminine way, so more more collaborative, more participative, um, then they're not seen as strong leader material. She doesn't have what it takes to get to that next level. And so women talk about this all the time, and the research and the work that I do about how they're walking this tightrope—don't not too much of this, not too much of that—or kind of a blend and trying not to cross lines. Whereas. I think as men, you know, we get a lot more flexibility when it comes to our leadership style. And so we don't face that, and we don't hear it as often as women do. And, and it really – I think that, you know, my own research around performance evaluations, and, and it gets to what you were talking about with those, uh, those descriptions of who we are as leaders, that it really – it begins to – it also shows up in performance evaluations this kind of language, how we see each other. And the, the really, you know, the, the bad part about this is that it's also valued differently. The different subjective language we use to describe each other is valued differently. And that leads to promotion opportunities. It leads to pay and other incentives out there. So as we think about systemic inequities, some of this starts with how we perceive each other.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, what can we do as men? Because that, Marine captain who told my wife, you should be direct. That's what we value in the Marine Corps. That was huge. And I don't think he was thinking about gender equity or he was just thinking about what was best for the Corps. What can we do as men to support? And I mean, I can't imagine walking that high line of, well, if you're too nice, you're not a good leader. And if you're too direct, you're being bossy.
2: Well, just like that. Uh, supervisor did for you know your partner she in that case i think pointing out what works and what is valued and and getting beyond some of the bias and and recognizing where bias does exist and being able to call it out when we see it and then kind of maybe even kind of a check and balance for ourselves about what you know what are we really um, valuing and and what is more just kind of biased you know, this, these unconscious biases that we need to to watch out for. Because if we don't have checks and balances or, or a, a, at least a sense that we're going to be held accountable to explain our, uh, our perceptions or our evaluations to somebody else, then uh, we're, we're more likely to continue in that way. So having the checks and balances, and I think that's one of the things that we can all do is, one, when we hear it or see it, call it out. But also, too, you know, check ourselves when it comes to, to these things because, again, if we're not, we're not doing that, it, it's probably not going to ever change. And, and we've got to begin to change the workplace and change the, the everyday practices, the cultural part of this.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm not perfect. And I think about this uh, topic a lot. Uh, I'll say maybe two weeks ago as I was prepping for this show, I heard a podcast guest mention Dr. Jesse Brown. And then I was surprised when a woman's voice came on the podcast. Uh, I think it's, it runs deeper than we think. Uh, and it's really hard to catch something that's that implicit, deep bias. And I really like this idea of checks and balances. Do you have any best practices or ideas where an organization can make it easier? Because as a woman, it's, you just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to say, Hey, Oh, well, stop. That is biased. And as men, we're often oblivious to it, and so it just keeps going. Are there ways that organizations can make it easier or more tactical to catch and stop this?
2: Yeah, there's more things that we can do from an organizational, so much more kind of thinking about everyday practice or process perspective. And then there are things that we can individually do as as people, as employees, as leaders out there that – I think the first thing, you know, starting from an individual perspective, is make sure that we continue to develop awareness of how others and people who are different from us may experience the workplace differently. So, listening to this podcast, uh, reading great books and articles out there, and and really beginning to develop an awareness of how other people may experience. The workplace in ways that I just never understood so this is how we get past some of the the bias or or to really become aware of the challenges that others are facing so that we can be you know institute our own practices and and ways to do this but organizations can do this teams can do this right we can have a meetings is one of those places where we we, unfortunately we all have to attend meetings it seems like when we're in groups and um, this is a place where we can put processes in place and understanding that you know, sometimes women's, uh, again, this gets to the, the idea about how we de- devalue uh, women's competence or expertise in, in a lot of different ways by not using credentials. So make sure that we're using our, we're all using our credentials when we're in those meetings. Uh, so it's doctor or rank or whatever the case might be. when We do those. Um, making sure that we amplify each other's ideas. So when somebody has a contribution they make, make sure we amplify it and they get credit for it because all too often, women's ideas are not valued in the same way, and sometimes they're even stolen. This uh, came up in all the research that we did for for our books, and we heard this countless examples women how they had a great, this idea they're really excited about, they put it out there to the team, and land flat. Nobody pay attention. Thirty minutes later, some guy repackages it now as his own, and it's like, wow, that's the greatest idea in the world. I can't believe that. It's incredible. And this happened. It's so prevalent that you know women call it, have terms for it. Things like bro appropriation or heap eating or imitating. But for for guys, I think for like for me, it was infuriating to hear these examples because I I was just completely unaware of these were happening. It never happened to me. I had never seen it happen. I'm sure it did. Uh, but now that I'm aware of it, I can see it. And I can decide how I'm going to handle it right there in the moment. But we can put processes in place in the meeting to make sure we avoid things like that by amplifying each other's contributions to make sure that um, the office housework of who's taking notes or doing different things that have to happen administratively in the meeting, we just rotate that around. We make sure that that's just part of the process, that we make sure that we include everybody's voice in the meeting, people who maybe don't speak up as often, we use a pull strategy making sure we're going around the table and, and we're, you know, pointing out, uh, asking people for their their perspective to make sure they, they do feel included and then amplify the ideas they may have.
1: Uh, that's all really useful in terms of process because w- what's said, I think, is, you know, heap-heating men stealing women's ideas. I think, this is my hunch, it's not often – purposeful, I hope. And I think that men aren't thinking, wow, that was a great idea. No one's going to pay attention to it because she's a woman and I'm just going to steal it in 30 minutes. I think it just happens naturally because we're not aware of it. So things like purposely amplifying and giving credit, uh, having a rotation for housework, and taking notes, recording. uh, Every time you say, who would like to take notes? There's awkward silence, and then the one or two the women in the room raise their hand because they know that's what everybody expects. It's it's maddening. So, I think just as a leader, we have a lot of power to to counter that. Uh, David, we're going to take a quick moment and recognize one of our sponsors.
0: Thanks so much, Knight. Uh, Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors
1: and our partners.
0: Uh, And now, Knight, back to your show.
1: All right. Thank you, Michelle. Welcome back to Leading on the Edge with our guest, Dr. David Smith. Uh, David, we started making the, the assertion that we will not mansplain, and I, I want to go into mansplaining a little bit to define that. It's a huge problem in rock climbing. Uh, women are better rock climbers than men, and often at the crag you see, you know, the boyfriend shouting loudly to use your left foot or just pull harder or, or just move up or, or whatever. And uh, It's just a big problem in rock climbing, but I think also in business I'm curious what mansplaining really means, and what's the difference between mansplaining and just a man explaining something
2: That's a great question, and you know this comes up all the time, but really the mansplaining is this again assumption as men that we when we see women that they don't they don't have that competence or expertise or understanding we we make assumptions about what they do and don't know and and I think that's what gets us into trouble. And I think one of the questions we could we could just kind of flip the script. And I think this is a, a you know an interesting way to think about it. Kind of again more of a check and balance to think about. Well, w- would I say that if that was a guy? And and if the answer is yes, okay, well then maybe you do need to maybe you do need to explain it. Um, it is something that you need to do. But if the answer is no. Well, then I'll give you a chance to, to hold back and, and, and do that. The other thing is I think that, you know, sometimes we do this not just with explaining, but it also comes out with, like, advice or guidance and things like that. And, again, making assumptions that this is that unsolicited advice that we as men more often do to women. And But you can start before you give the advice. Just check yourself and go, you know, make an offer instead um, is this something that you would like? Or, or if she comes to you, and we do this all the time from a listening perspective, too, that we do this with our colleagues and mentees and all sorts of people, maybe even your partner sometimes, when, we, when they come to you that we make an assumption we're, we're listening for a problem, and then we're going to solve it. We're going to fix it for them. And that's not what people always need. And especially, you know, in this case, men, we tend to assume that for women we're here. to. She came to me with a problem, and now I have to solve it. And no, maybe we just need to be a good sounding board, and and then maybe even at the beginning or at some point in there in the conversation, after you listened, um, maybe even ask, hey, what what would be most helpful here for you? I'm you know would love to to help, but you know what would what would be most helpful? So again, kind of checking in, and I think that's really helpful in making sure that we're not doing the mansplaining
1: it seems like a key word there is unsolicited advice and perhaps with any gender, you know, we could, we could apply this across the board. People don't really want unsolicited advice. Uh, David, I'm often called a champion for women and it always kind of bothers me because it feels like, especially being named knight, this white knight riding in to save the damsel in distress, which, being married to a Marine, now orthopedic surgeon, just doesn't feel quite right. What's a better term for men who care about gender equity?
2: Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the word champion is often used in a lot of cases. And, and some, sometimes it's really just to kind of pull men into being more proactive and being uh, you know committed and dedicated and focused on doing the action related to, to creating equity in the workplace and um and champions one of those things like yeah you know, so we'll we'll label something as, label people as champions or a program for male, you know men as champions or male champions and so, cuz it draws men in. like yeah sure I want to be a, I want to be a champion uh and so it does it kind of draws people in but it can be dangerous there's a there's a flip side as you're alluding to here that there's a flip side to that that it can go the wrong direction and it can lead to some of that what we would call more benevolent sexism right this white knighting and taking care of the little ladies uh, and things like that that are not helpful they tend to be undermining and disempowering and so instead of that um, I, I love ally is a great word uh, again different connotations in different cultures and different areas that some people think that maybe ally is not a strong enough word because it doesn't always connote the action required um, you know my my colleague brad Johnson and i we we do include the action in there so we include being an ally is also being a great advocate and it's doing it publicly um, it's being a co-conspirator a collaborator working together to solve problems and I and I think co-conspirator is one of those ones that a lot of people like uh, because it does it has this idea that this notion that we're working we're doing this together uh, it's not for one person or another but we do it together and we all benefit when we do this well um, and it's and it's the problem solving getting past challenges and working to to solve things out there so um, I love I love ally advocate co-conspirator I think all all great opportunities but just like you. Don't, you don't, we don't necessarily need to label ourselves, so if the fact that you're doing the work as an ally terrific, wonderful. Keep doing it and making a difference out there and if she happens to call you an ally, that's feel good about it. But remember that you know we're just an ally to that one person at that moment. We're not an ally to all people of that group, and we have to keep doing the work and let the work speak for
1: itself so. David, I want to go into maybe a sticky question here. Uh, it feels odd again, two men talking about women and equity, and uh, as if women can't solve this by themselves. Can women solve this by themselves? Do men need to be part of the solution here? We
2: think that in in this day and age, that we men do need to be part of the solution, um, and we recognize also that in certain waves of feminism that that's not always congruent with how people see it. It's like uh, we as men just need to get out of the way and let go of our privilege and, and it'll, it'll, women will solve it on their own, which uh, I think is, is largely true. The challenge there, the reality is that in most most workplaces today, they are traditionally male dominated. um, And so, with so many men there that I think we, what we need to do is engage and do this together and and create the the kind of equity that we're looking for. And as long as men tend to be in the positions of power and influence and controlling resources and have more of the social capital, um, I I think we need to pull them into this conversation and, and find a place for them so that they can see. And I think that's what they need to be doing. And I think that's one of the challenges we have is that, too many times we find that men don't feel like they have a place or a role in doing this. They want to be part of the solution, but they're also fearful of making mistakes along the way. And they think that they're going to be, again, me too, and a verb there uh, out of, out of the workplace or out of their position. So they're fearful of not doing any fearful of doing the wrong thing.
1: That leads me into another question here. What's holding men back? I mean, I, it seems like a big issue that men have the power. If, if we have power, it's hard, even if we knew that we were in the wrong, to give that up. And when we're oblivious to it, it's even harder. And I hear you saying that it can be frightening to be an advocate, to be an ally. What are, are some other things or reasons that men aren't just saying, hey, this is enough?
2: Yeah, I hope we have about another four hours to cover all of this because <laughs> we we in, a, in the research we did for our first book, Athena Rising, which was really just focused on how do we bring more men into doing better mentoring and sponsoring and not just of other men, but of women. And there were so many reasons that men held back that we ended up calling it the reluctant male syndrome. And it was everything from, again, the unconscious bias and implicit perceptions Again, not seeing women as, you know, leaders, seeing them as some sort of risky investment. Uh, uh, The the idea that men had lots of anxiety around uh, having professional relationships with women in the workplaces, which is going to be one of the solutions we have to do in the workplace is be involved in more mentoring and sponsoring relationships and just being good colleagues and interacting. And men – as it turns out, have a lot of anxiety about that. And, of course, Me Too came along, and then that exacerbated their own fear and these false narratives that men tended to, to perpetuate in the workplace, in our own circles, and things like women are scary or women caused Me Too or that women make false harassment claims, and there's just there's zero um, evidence to support any of that. And uh, we just love to remind men that, hey, this is – Me Too is really about women asking to come to work and not be assaulted or harassed. I mean, it's a super low bar for dudes to get over, and we can do a lot more than that. And and then today, you know, we see more of this kind of zero-sum thinking that, oh, all these gender initiatives out there that, you know, somehow women have an advantage over us as men. And, you know, if women advance, then we as men lose, which is not the case And the research does show that we 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 actually make the pie bigger we all we all get more when we do that Organizations succeed women succeed and men do better as well so understanding some of the benefits for themselves i think as men as leaders and understanding what's in it for them in addition to women but also the organization and how the organization wins and understanding this bigger picture might help to get more men over that hurdle of maybe what's holding them back and that they don't have to be perfect in doing this work either. Remembering this is a journey and we're going to make mistakes along the way.
1: I think that's key is just saying that up front, we're going to make mistakes. Um, And, you know, I want to just point out that most of the listeners on this radio show are probably women. I'm curious if you have any thoughts for women listening you know, I, I get defensive if a woman says, "Hey, that was sexist." I'm not the best about saying, "Yeah, actually, you're right. I'm sorry." I, I get clammed up and defensive, and maybe irritable, uh, and it takes me a couple of days to process it. So, what advice do you have for women to deal with our prickly egos and all the issues that come with telling men when we're not doing the right thing?
2: And this is a this is a. An issue, a real problem, because we know that women, when they point out, uh, they they give critical feedback to men about you know making biased or sexist comments or behaviors that they're gonna they're gonna get penalized, and it's real, and and the research is really clear on it. So I I totally I totally understand that, and so thinking, being thoughtful about, all right, so how do we do this? And this is where again I think allyship is really helpful if you have. Men as allies who can beat men be the ones who speak up and call it out and not wait for women to, because how many times have we been in a meeting or a situation where we see it and, when we, you know, there's that biased, sexist comment, it lands on the table and we look around and we're looking to see if anybody reacts, Do the women in the room react, did anybody else hear it, did anybody else feel offended by it, and then, you know, about 10 seconds goes by and then, of course, nothing happens. Uh, because of bystander mm-hmm. paralysis, and we need to do something, and we need to overcome that fear. And it's interesting as men, when we say something, when we confront or disrupt in the moment, we don't get penalized. In some cases, we actually get a bump up in, in evaluations and other things because now we become that gender champion, right? So if you're if that's something that's very highly visible in your company, it, it can be a, a benefit for men. So I think partnering with other men. Uh, so that women don't have to be the ones to always call it out. But I think, you know, thinking about the different techniques we also have and in, in trying to call it out and make sure we do something to disrupt because, again, most people do find it uh, offensive, but, again, are afraid to call it out.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. and It's ironic that men could get a bump up in their performance evaluation for speaking up. Uh, that's, that's a whole other problem to f- to tackle. And I wish we had four hours, um, but unfortunately only have half an hour. I, I'm curious just in, in closing here, what do you wish you could tell your 20 year old self today?
2: Wow. That's a, that's a great question because my 20 year old self, uh, when I was in college, uh, and, and beginning to have my eyes open for the first time, um, for the very first time in my life, you know, it, was in a place where women were a minority and were not valued very explicitly not valued, not just implicitly. And, you know, I, I look back there and I, I think I spoke up sometimes, but I I know there were lots more times that I could have, I could have been a a stronger advocate and a a stronger ally um, to, to my female colleagues when I was my 20 year old self. And, and, again, knowing what I know today and the impact I can ha- you can have individually, one person, um, I would have told myself to be more proactive and, and, to do, and to take those chances and don't worry about making mistakes when you, when you do that. And I think that's easy to say from, with lots of decades of experience now, um, but telling 20-year-olds to, to step up and to not worry about making mistakes and you don't have to have all the answers, but you can do what you know in your heart is right. We'll just make you a better person.
1: That's, that's great. Just life advice. Be proactive, be ready to make the mistakes and it'll make you a better person. Uh, David, in case listeners want to reach out to you after the show, we, we have your website here, workplaceallies.com. That's workplace, P-L-A-C-E, allies, A-L-L-I-E-S.com. Is there any other way Uh, that listeners should reach out to connect with you?
2: Uh, Going to the website is a great one-stop shop. You can see what we're doing, what we've been writing about, the research we're doing and what's coming up. And you can certainly, you can reach out and contact me. You can also find me on most social media out there at David G. Smith, PhD.
1: All right. Well, David, uh, Dr. Smith is, it's a, a minefield out there. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you taking the chance for two men to talk about women and gender equity. Uh, I hope we got most of it right. I'm sure we got some of it wrong. Thank you for your insights and experience today.
2: Yeah. Thanks for the great conversation tonight. And thanks for having me.
1: Okay. That's all for our show today. Thank you again, Dr. David Smith for being our guests and thank you to all our listeners around the world. Remember, you can always tune into Women Lead Radio shows Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's been my pleasure to be your host today. I hope this episode inspires you to keep exploring, pushing your boundaries, and leading on the edge.
0: Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where light-focused, business-to-business executive and professional women connect collaborate and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.